0: and It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming Football's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming it's, coming it's, coming it's coming Football's coming home. Sometimes their necks are broken, sometimes their back, sometimes their legs, sometimes their arms, sometimes one part is thrust out of joint, sometimes the noses gush out with blood. That's Philip Stubbs writing in his Anatomy of Abuses in 1583 about the game of football. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, part of the Agora Podcast Network. I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. This is episode 107. And we're talking about football because England just made it through the first knockout match in the World Cup. And I think we owe it to the team to talk about the history of their sport in their country. Don't you? But first, I need to thank my patrons who helped to keep this show independent. I have such awesome patrons, and I love you guys. Thank you to Elizabeth, Kathy, Cynthia, jurgen That's my dad. Also, Janine, Sarah, Megan, Lady Anne, Jessica, Olivia, Al, Ashley, Kendra, Cynthia, Judith, Melissa, Katherine, Katie, Berta, Renee, Mara, Emily, Selene, Lara, Ian, Barbara, Shar, Kiva, Amy, Allison, Joanne. Kathy, Christine, Annetta, Candice, John, Susan, Andrea, Catherine, Rebecca from Tudor's Dynasty, Shandor, and Philip. Thank you, you guys. If you want to be part of this group of very important special people in my life and get a virtual hug from me, please go to patreon.com englandcast where you can sign up for just a dollar an episode. One final thing, if you like treats, and I mean, like really, who doesn't? I invite you to check out the Treasures from Best subscription box that I launched back in February-ish. It's a monthly box filled with Tudor treats, books, jewelry, special handmade spa items, all inspired by Tudor history. It's $39.99 a month, including free shipping in the continental U.S. Check out treasuresfrombest.com for more information, to see sample boxes, and to order. So, football! I did do an episode on Tudor Sports way, way back in the beginning of this podcast. In 2009 it was. I was just a baby then. But I want to dig a bit deeper and do an episode on football specifically. So here we are. I also want to add that this episode is dedicated to my dearest friend Shandor who took me to my very first English Premier League match way back in 2001 at White Hart Lane. Go Spurs! So interestingly, did you know that football was actually banned in 1540 because Henry VIII thought it induced riots? He was also concerned about able-bodied men hurting themselves in these riots. And he was probably right. More people were killed in football-related injuries in the 16th century than sword fighting. It's always the stuff you think is going to be all innocent that really gets you, huh? So football is very different in Tudor England compared to what they're playing in Russia today, though. To start with, there was no limit to the number of people you could have on each side. So you'd have entire villages playing against each other. The ball was made of a pig's bladder stuffed with hair. The goals were about a mile apart. So, you'd have to go from one town to another to score, and it was largely played in the open countryside. You could also pick up the ball and throw it as well as kick it. It was actually really quite similar to American football, only without the helmets and the padding. The object of the game was to capture the ball from the other village and bring it back to your own. The authorities frowned on football. They were there were a couple of reasons. First, they were concerned that it was diverting the attention of the villagers from archery, which was seen as much more important. And by 1540, the concern had become so great, like I said, that the government passed a law banning football altogether. One of the reasons Henry banned it when he did was because he needed these able-bodied men for a potential war, and he didn't want them hurting themselves throwing around this pig's bladder, right? Philip Stubbs also added in his anatomy of abuses that football is more of a fight than a game. That might sound familiar to some diehard football fans today. Seven footballers were killed after riots or fights in English villages between 1500 and 1575. This is research that Oxford historian Dr. Stephen Gunn did as part of a project looking into accidental deaths in the 16th century. Interestingly, bell ringing and sword fighting each caused three accidental deaths during the same period. I think with bell ringing, it was because they wouldn't let go and they'd get accidentally carried up after they rang the bell and were pulling on the rope. They'd get accidentally carried up and then get dropped. And so that would be fatal. So of the footballers who were killed, two of those were accidentally stabbed with a knife during a tackle. So please leave the weapons off the field. On February 20th, 1508, Thomas Bryan was playing in Yeovilton in Somerset. He had his knife hanging from his belt. Never a good idea. The record says he fell onto it by misfortune. It struck him in the body, and he immediately died. So he killed himself by misfortune. Another one in North Yorkshire said a player died when he challenged for the ball. The record reads, John Langburn of Allerston was playing football with a Roger Bridkirk of Allerston, laborer, and many others. They were running after a certain ball, called the football, no malice being between them, and both came onto the ball at once and fell to the ground. Roger fell on top of John and crushed his body by misfortune so that John immediately died. Though football still isn't quite as dangerous as archery, which killed 56 people during this time. The sport itself, like I said, seemed to be a lot more similar to American football. People would often end up rioting and then getting crushed in the mess that would ensue from that. So going back, the very first recorded football match that Took place in London in 1170, and this was recorded by a William Fitzstephen. Some historians actually believe that football started as war games between villages, and larger inter village games were popular on holidays like Shrove Tuesday, when entire villages would play each other for an entire day. Can you imagine an entire day of this? It's like the opposite of an entire day of cricket, right? Cricket, you can go on for five days and it's just kind of like civilized, and you drink some, I don't know, you drink some Pims or something, and it's just quite civilized. I can't imagine what several days of, of a football match going on would be like. It would be very loud. So in 1314, Edward II banned it because he was concerned that it was taking the place of archery, like I said, in the attentions of able bodied men. But it was very rare for the matches to be prosecuted, so the ban didn't really have that much effect. There were no teams per se, and the matches were more informal and spontaneous, especially during the holidays. Sometimes the matches would last for hours and even days, and eventually Eton and the universities at Cambridge and Oxford began playing scheduled matches. The whole thing became much more organized. So some commentary, some contemporary commentary on the game, on the beautiful game. In 1514, Alexander Barclay, a monk in Ely, wrote about a game of ball, which is named football. They get the bladder and blow it great and thin with many beans and peasen put within. It rattleth shineth and soundeth clear and fair. While it is thrown and cast up in the air, each one contendeth and hath a great delight with foot and hand the bladder for to smite. If it fall to the ground, they lift it up again, overcometh the winter with driving the football." In 1519, William Herman, who had been headmaster at both Eton and Winchester Colleges, produced a book of Vulgaria, And in it, he refers to this, quote, we will play with a ball full of wind. And scholars believe that this is the first reference to football being played at a school in England. Around the same time, A Richard Mulcaster, he'd been a student at Eton and then became a teacher and a headmaster. He was a big fan of football, and he wrote about it in ways that we would even understand today. The History UK website says that his writings refer to sides and parties, which would be teams, a judge over the parties, a referee, standings, positions, and training master, coach, He also says some smaller numbers with such overlooking, sorted into sides and standings, not meeting with their bodies so boisterously to try their strength, nor shouldering or shuffling one another so barbarously, may use football for as much good to the body by the chief use of the legs. It seems like at this point, the schools were trying to reorganize this game to have it not be so violent, but instead focus on the health benefits of it and kind of put some rules around it and organize it a bit. Henry VII had passed a law forbidding the game of football in public areas. Now this was for military reasons. But of course, Henry VIII was athletic and he was really into sports. And in 1526, he ordered footwear for the Great Wardrobe and In that order, there was 45 velvet pairs of shoes and one leather pair for football. So Henry VIII had specially made football boots, you guys. In 1531, there was some concern about playing football on a Sunday and also the level of brutality of the game, though, again, the health benefits were praised. So people kept seeing that it was quite good exercise. The preacher Thomas Eliot, in his book, the governor, discussed the dangers that football caused, and the benefits of archery. Football wherein is nothing but beastly fury and extreme violence, whereof proceedeth hurt, and consequently rancor and malice do remain with them that be wounded. And of archery, shooting, wherein shooting, if the shooter use the strength of his bow within his own tiller, he shall never be therewith grieved or made more feeble." But then he also wrote in 1534 in his book Castle of Health, he wrote about the benefits of football as part of what he calls a regimen of vehement exercise. The oldest surviving football was found in Scotland, and this dates from around 1540. And this is a really interesting story that involves Mary, Queen of Scots. So, this football was found behind paneling in the Queen's Chamber of Stirling Castle in 1981. It's made of a pig's bladder, it's covered in leather, it's about six inches in diameter and it resembles descriptions of a ball used in the Carlisle Castle game of 1568 that was watched by Mary Queen of Scots. Sir Francis Knowles described the game at Carlisle Castle in Cumbria 22 of her retinue played football before her for two hours very strongly, nimbly, and skillfully. So that was yet another difference that Mary Queen of Scots had with her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth was not so much of a football fan. In terms of sports, she preferred things that we might think of were more violent, like bear baiting. She liked that kind of thing to watch. Not so much football. But Mary Queen of Scots apparently did enjoy football. So hooray for her. So I'm going to leave it there for this week. I don't really have a book recommendation, although there are a lot of talks about sports and various general tutor history books, like how to be a tutor. So I'll put up some, some of the articles that I used in research for this, so you can check that out. You can get in touch with me through the listener support line at 8016-TESCO, or through Twitter at Tesco, that's T-E-Y-S-K-O, or facebook.com slash englandcast. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. I'll be back in about another week or so with another Tudor Times episode with our Person of the Month. Don't forget to check out treasuresfrombest.com for your Tudor treat fix, and I will talk with you again soon. Enjoy the rest of the World Cup. Blow northern wind, a scent may be sweating, blow northern wind, blow, blow, blow